Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Hybrid Unlimited. This is me, Steffi Cohen. And Hayden Bo. And today we have the privilege to sitting down. To sitting down. <laughs> to sitting down. Can I form one sentence in the morning? Of sitting down with <laughs> Chris Knott. I, we, how long ago did we meet? A couple months ago? Since November. Yeah, since November. Yeah. Chris Knott has a very impressive resume um, graduated from Purdue University where he played D1 baseball and I mean I'm I have his bio in front of me and if I were to read it it would take at least 15 minutes because <laughs> he's done so much he has a bachelor's of arts degree with two majors one in movement sports science and another one in exercise and fitness with additional coursework in athletic training he then completed a master's of science degree in health kinesiology and leisure studies with two separate fields of study one in ex-phys and one in sports management he worked as an assistant uh, strength and conditioning coordinator at purdue and also created teach uh, in creating and teaching the weight training curriculum for Purdue students. On top of that, now he specializes in training professional athletes from sports, all kinds of sports, NFL. What else do you got, Chris? Um, NFL, MMA. MMA, Olympic. Olympic. Um, got any baseball players? You know, I used to, again, with my rock, all the Rockies I used to do, um, I had a few NBA but NFL mostly. Right on. And the military. Yes. It's a big focus now. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So we go, we dive deep into his career, how he got to where he is. Um, this is a particularly interesting podcast. If you are wanting to have a career in uh, coaching and potentially getting some professional athletes as well, he goes into great detail about how he got to where he is. One of the things that I found most fascinating about Chris was just his curiosity for the human body. I think that really is what differentiates the good from the great in our field is just really being genuinely curious and wanting answers for th things that are issues. I think that's kind of like the biggest driving factor for learning and for knowledge. So super interesting podcast today. I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get into it, I wanted to uh, welcome our newest podcast sponsor, Stay Classy Meat. Stay Classy Meats curates quality special meat from small batches and processors across the northern Rockies. They are an athlete-focused meat company. Always, never, ever, no hormones, no antibiotics. They source from ranchers who are all for animal to free range graze in low-stress environments because you don't want to eat a stressed-out cow. You know what I mean? You want that meat to be tender. I'm with you. And soft <laughs> and juicy. You know what I mean? I want my cows to be listening to Mozart and classical music and be massaged. Yeah. And I'm that's with, exactly that. what they do at the Stay Classy Ranch. I think I need a steak now. <laughs> Got me in the mood. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> because for me, I mean, as an athlete, we require the best quality products to put in my body because nutrition is the base of our existence. Yeah. Hybrid members or hybrid listeners. Stay sorry. classy meats, quality, convenience, small batches, cows who are happy. <laughs> Have you done that? Huh? Yeah. Our listeners uh, can get 10% off with code hybrid in all caps. So definitely check them out. Uh, they're great. We use them every day. We get like 32 pounds of meat, I think, from uh, Stay Classy. Um, 
every single month and uh they have really cool stuff like the meat what i liked about them is they have a higher quality than a lot of the other box companies you can get like wagyu ground beef if you want some bougie burgers you know they have all the big tomahawk steaks all, all the stuff that if you're a, a real meat person you're into so definitely check them out yep all right sit back relax enjoy well welcome chris not to the podcast um this just worked out perfectly because we need to roll through a bunch of podcasts and luckily we have somebody interesting in town. Well, that's yet to be determined. <laughs> yeah, we'll let the listeners determine. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thanks for being on. Um, it worked out really nicely. But uh, I kind of want to start with a little bit of uh, your background because our audience is largely strength sport oriented. So maybe might not be as familiar with your space. Um we kind of met you through one of your clients, which was interesting. How did that even come about? Was it, were you speaking to Alex? So let me see. Um, no, I think you messaged me. Yeah. This, um, last time we were out in Miami, um, uh, Odell needed, well, we needed to get some training in. Um, I'm doing his, uh, post ACL while pre and post ACL rehab and then getting him back ready for the off season training. And so, um, he frequents here in Miami. Um, he's got a place here and we needed a place. So reached out and that was that. That's a, that's how a lot of people end up at the gym, but usually they go through Alex and Alex is kind of removed from the world of, you know, sports and a lot of entertainment and stuff. Like he's not, he, he doesn't like know who people are a lot of the time. So we'll always, every once in a while we'll get one of these messages and it's like, Hey, uh, Odell Beckham Jr. And his, <laughs> and his trainer want to come work out at the gym. I don't know who that is. Should I charge them? Actually, uh, <laughs> no, he's fine. You know, <laughs> like professional courtesy. I don't think you need to get the twenty dollars drop in from him. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny, eh? I know we have, but we've, it's crazy. Like being in Miami, you never know who's gonna come through the door. We literally had a week where Conor McGregor came like two, three times. Yeah. Until he got in a lot of trouble, like, <laughs> and he had to go back. But um, little Wayne is our neighbor at the gym. Like, it's just a weird scene. It's down an here. interesting place to live. How did you get linked up with Odell? Um, so uh, let me see. Everything is kind of word of mouth, and um, I was uh, taking care of Brandon Marshall um, at the time, and Brandon Marshall was with the Giants, and so when Odell had his first major kind of ankle uh, issue. Uh, he had gotten my name through Brandon Marshall. I was actually training one of my other NFL guys out in LA and he called me up and was like, Hey, I need help. It was his first real, like, you know, he's dealt with, um, from his back fracture all the way back in high school that kind of offset some things. And then, you know, had a hamstring and other, just little things, but his, his ankle fracture was his first like real major, uh, injury in the NFL. And so, um, yeah, uh, started with him just purely on the rehab side, got him back from the ankle. And then, um, you know, each year, um, well, so got season three now, um, just been doing more with him. And uh, now he's kind of like, hey, we got to just revamp everything. He's had too many things here and there. So now I've been taking over uh, more of his actual strength and conditioning work along with the neuro rehab. I mean, he's got a, um, a team of guys and, uh, uh, Graham from Exos is kind of our coordinator, if you will, um, who uh, communicates with the Browns and and the rest of our staff. But I take care of his his neuro rehab in particular, uh, and then his strength work. 
Very cool. What, um, what's your formal education? Uh, so, um, uh, went to Purdue university, um, and, uh, got, uh, undergraduate degrees in movement, sports science, exercise and fitness, um, got an education in athletic training and then have a master's in exercise phys another master's in sports management. Um, when my, uh, kind of sporting career kind of was coming to an end at Purdue university, stayed on as strength and conditioning there, uh, ended up, uh, taking a strength and conditioning job with the Colorado Rockies, which is how I ended up in Colorado. And then after that decided to settle in Colorado Springs. And then that's when my kind of real education, uh, began from, you know, I was pretty much a broken athlete, um, from the traditional American, bigger, faster, stronger mentality, growing up football, baseball, wrestling, um, got to college. And, you know, we, even at all these D one programs, it's all the same kind of things. And, uh, yeah, I spent the probably a good decade after college trying to fix myself from, all the things that happened to me, I've got, you know, two fractures in my back. I've blown out my knees. I've dislocated shoulders. I've done a number of things, uh, through various sports and everything and felt like I left college feeling like an 80 year old man. And then that's when I decided to say, Hey, let's figure out what really works because all these athletes we were seeing, they were coming in and same kind of step, you know, bigger, faster, stronger imbalances, injuries, surgeries, rehab, come back, same things. They never actually get to the root cause of problems. Um, and so I wanted to go and learn from everyone. So I went through orthopedics and physical therapy and chiropractors and, you know, soft tissue, uh, people and just everything I could get my hands on around the country. And because I had built up a decent network, you know, I'd go around and say like, well, who's your strength guy? Who's your massage guy? Who's your, you know, physical therapist, who's your chiropractor. And I would just go up to him. And back in the day, it was like, Hey, I'm going to intern for you for free. And they were like, okay. It's like, you know, back then they would always just take help from anyone that was motivated. And, uh, I wanted to learn what they did well, but more importantly, I wanted to know what they didn't do. I was like, obviously you guys still have jobs, so you're doing something right. But why is everyone getting worse and worse? And even today, right? We have better gyms, better doctors, better this. And yet the injury rates are only increasing. And so it was always the disconnect between professionals and especially because they were always fighting and arguing and saying who's better. And really, um, I always joked as that say that pride and fear kind of look the same. And uh, it's not that everyone is so arrogant all the time. It's really because they're afraid of that. Their little piece of the puzzle isn't good enough. And so they have to tell everybody why, what they do is the best and why, why everyone else sucks as opposed to realizing we all need to work together and put in the smartest people. It's not so much that they're so whiz bang in one thing. And we, yes, we need our special. If I, you know, if I'm going to have that surgery, I definitely want, you know, we sent Odell to the best guys, right. For, uh, his surgery and in that type of thing. However, that surgery is not the root cause of the problem, right? Why did he, why wasn't he able to absorb force in that split second of time, you know, when that pile was coming at him, you know, and really looking back to, you know, what are the things can we fill in? And then that's how we can really, uh, try to find success. So that's kind of what I did. And, and as I was learning from, um, all the people, you know, in America, which in America, we have a very structural approach, right? It's what's torn, damaged and broken. And then we kind of work backwards. Um, no one understood neurology. And so, um, back to my story, um, when I dislocated my shoulder, uh, and then I tried to get back, um, one, all the traditional therapies weren't working, you know, they wanted to do all the surgeries. And I was like, okay, if I lose my range of motion, I'm not going to be able to pitch again. So that didn't make a lot of sense. And that, that was a risk if you did the surgery. Yeah. Yeah. They just said, well, you know, cause, um, it was, it was a combination of, um, I went from, um, 
well, in high school, I was the, um, I actually kind of my longtime story. Um, I was actually the fattest kid in my class in fourth grade. And, uh, that was the year that I switched from, uh, to playing football. And this is, I grew up out in Arizona. And so I actually, uh, in pop Warner, that was really good out in Arizona. I actually had to lose weight to make the team because they uh-huh. went by age and weight. And I remember that first Arizona summer, like in sweatsuits and like, just like dying in heat stroke, Oof. like in all that. And I basically said, man, I never want to feel this bad again in my life. And so every year I'd go out and just on my own start running, you know, sprints and pushups and pull-ups and just whatever I could do. And, and each year I got, uh, thinner and a little bit faster. I literally went from, from tackle to guard to tight end to then, um, by the time I was a freshman, I was actually the same height. I mean, I was like six, one, but I was barely like one forty, sopping wet was really (laughs) fast. And so I was a receiver at the time. Um, but then, you know, that's when it started every football coach, bigger, faster, stronger, right? You got this tall, skinny weakling guy that I literally could bench press 95 pounds, um, as a freshman and between my freshman year to my sophomore year, I went from 95 to 225. And I was that same. Now I've got the monkey shoulders coming forward and, you know, no one had any clue what we were doing in the weight room, you know, had no hamstrings, had no glutes, had no nothing. It was just like, Hey, let's, let's go bench press. And that's really where it all started. So then I went into wrestling and, um, one tournament I got caught in like a chicken wing and then all of a sudden got cranked on. Now I got this sloppy shoulder, um, and then went into baseball season and, uh, I'm left-handed and I was at first base, caught a ground ball, um, to my left. So on the first baseline and kind of went to throw sidearm across the diamond to third base, all those muscles contract and literally dislocated my shoulder. Oh. And so, uh, when it came out, I've got like, I literally have a divot in the head of the humerus, um, tore part of the labrum, uh, tore, um, have a couple of tears in the rotator cuff. Um, and so again, doctors were like, well, we got to just tighten all that up. And I was like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And here I am, I'm a high school kid. I didn't even know what a rotator cuff was. So I started reading anatomy books just to find out. I was like, wait, so these four small muscles you're saying are weak because they tore. And I'm like, that's responsible for, you know, decelerating, you know, at the time I was, you know, throwing in the mid eighties and, and it was like, that's supposed to slow down a 80 mile per hour fastball. And I was like, that didn't make a lot of sense. And so these little band exercises where you look like you're, you know, mm-hmm. yanking off to a band just didn't seem to work. And, uh, uh, that's when I was like, well, how come all these things seem to attach to this scapula here? And again, I'm learning my vocabulary as a high school kid. And I'm like, but then what about all these things that attach to that? And it seems like when I do this and, you know, but when I land, I actually am landing on my right leg being left-handed and this transfers force. So I just started to look at the human body as a puzzle. And it was like, if this all fits together, then how come no one's talking about this? Mm-hmm. So once I actually started training my body and coming up on my own exercises to think about, um, kind of how everything worked together, it was like I could throw again. And I went from our being our kind of our, you know, um, I was a varsity pitcher as a freshman, again, hurt my shoulder my sophomore year and then, uh, played first base, uh, my junior year. I didn't pitch again until, um, my senior year. And so I ended up having to walk on, um, at Purdue university. And, uh, you know, I got to the point where I was like, I could throw without pain. And now I'm in college and in the weight room and it's bigger, faster, stronger. Now I'm, you know, 200 pounds and, you know, doing all the things that they want me to do. And yet my velocity never fully came back. So I was like, Hey, I'm bigger, faster, stronger. 
I've got no pain. And yet I still couldn't regain about that last, you know, 5% uh, to my fastball. And that's what started to clue me into like, this is something that my brain is saying, Hey, I don't I remember last time you threw really hard and bad things happen. Well, let's not do that again. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, how come no one's understanding that? So when I got out of college, that's when like one of my first place I went to was starting to work with chiropractors. Cause they were like, Hey, we're about neurology. But then as I got into it, it was like, well, they're basic. And this is generalities. I always tell people that I'll, I'll rip on all professionals equally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their approach was really structural. Well, we're going to move this structure to try to restore neurology. But I was like, well, isn't it the, the neurology that controls the muscles that actually absorb the force that keeps the structure in place. And so it seemed very incomplete. Um, and then it was like, okay, well, physical therapists want to work on this. But again, it was, it was very like structural and very like finite, like, Hey, we're going to do this band exercise for the rotator cup, as opposed to, again, getting, getting that whole picture. And, and when I got down to it, no one really understood neurology. And so, um, fast forward, um, that's when, uh, I met Dennis Thompson kind of told him my progression of all this stuff that I had gotten to. And, uh, he was like, well, I think I have a solution for you. And so he had created, um, uh, a pretty remarkable system actually paired up with another gentleman who created this, uh, technology, um, that kind of combined the original, uh, Soviet understanding of electrical modalities, because, um, in America we have, um, a, like, you know, everyone's done stem and ice, right? That's what you get. Um, but most stem units in America are based off of alternating current, which is not normal to the human body. And so the Soviets understood that if we're going to actually communicate, the human body operates off direct current. And so, um, a lot of the original direct current modalities were excruciatingly painful. So you'd hear stories of, of like, literally like burning the skin and all that kind of stuff. So very few people could actually handle it. And so, um, there was a guy by the name of Gary Thomas who created, um, the original, uh, devices that he, he would say he stumbled upon the waveform, uh, by accident, um, uh, that, uh, creates, Oh, we got Odell actually bringing in here. Oh, there we go. Just ignore him for a second. But, uh, um, anyways, uh, the background waveform he stumbled upon was actually the same, uh, neurological signaling that's harmonious inside the body. So now we can communicate with the brain. So we're getting rid of the impedance, uh, of the endothelial cells, the fatty tissue and all that. So now we can actually apply the same direct current the Soviets were using without the same negative side effects. So, um, by doing that, now we can actually put people in motion because we can work on motor pattern development, rebalance was called the alpha gamma loop. And most of the science that most people really don't care about, they just want to know what works. But the difference is you're not lying on a table getting zapped. You're actually in motion. You're actually um, moving and having a way to ascertain where those neurological breakdowns are. And once that was starting to happen, then all these muscles from years of guarding and protecting that were in this tight concentric contraction, now we're able to lengthen under load and with movement so that we could absorb force again. And that's how I was able to fix myself. And then that's what I started doing. And then that just kind of perpetuated just so happened that it was NFL guys that found me first and then guys talk. And then that was the whole story. Um, I kind of broke out during the Super Bowl 50 year. Um, I started working with Vaughn Miller, uh, and the Denver Broncos. And, uh, that year I had 23 guys I was taking care of and six major guys before every game, all the way to the Super Bowl. after their Super Bowl 50, all guys dispersed throughout the league. And then, um, again, that's when Brandon Marshall found me then Brandon Marshall told Odell. And then that's what brought me to you guys. Wow. 
It's interesting that you, you had a similar experience. I think uh, you talk about it in your book, you said, call it from um, dead bugs to deadlifts where there was no sort of transition from the little band exercises to it's like, all right, now you're ready go like squat 600 pounds again. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a total disconnect between rehab and then training. And I love what you said about trying to find a more cohesive approach. And that is something that they, you know, drill in physical therapy school in terms of healthcare is the importance of an interdisciplinary care. Mm. You know, it, we know that like, you need the expertise of other professionals when it comes to your health. The same thing happens with training. Like you wouldn't go to the dentist to get your nose fixed, you know? (laughs) So yeah, it makes sense to operate more as a team, as a unit and, and value the expertise of every professional to kind of like bring about a, a, a solution that makes more sense. Yeah. I think the hardest thing is, is, it takes time to really get good at something. And so we have so many good specialists, but then they get so focused on their thing that it's hard for them to start to work with other people. They don't know how to network. I would say, I mean, you know, most of us that have gotten to a higher level would say that we didn't, we, we don't do now what we learned in college. Right. And that's, what's right. you know funny. You talk about the formal education, but I don't know what's so formal about it because it really just, hopefully it teaches you how to learn. Um, but if they could learn how to learn and then how to network, the real learning begins right out in the trenches, but then you have to find the right people that can actually do it. You have to have the understanding of how to just, it's like reading research, right? You don't even, until you get into graduate school, you don't even really learn how to read research and then determine like, okay, just because this research paper had a conclusion, well, they have all these problems, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, uh, that becomes a problem. So how do people really, um, look out in the world, look at the different specialists and to be able to look through. And now with this, this world of social media and everything, there's so many gurus out there and people just have no clue. Oh, that looks really cool. Cause that guy is, you know, swinging from a TRX, jumping on a BOSU <laughs> ball, you know, balancing a kettlebell on his head. And that must be really cool. And it's like, they don't have a framework of how to even determine if this person has a level of understanding. And then am I going to invest my time with that person and then connect with the next person? And so, you know, it's taken me 25 years to get a network that's still growing and still learning. And see, it's, that's the cool part is that it's easier now because we're more connected, you know, I, you know, without me calling up saying, Hey, I've got Odell Beckham here. You know, would you guys have even, known who I was to, you know, for us to be sitting here today type of thing. But if we can get these more connections now, all of a sudden we can start working together, but then it still takes the ability to say, well, how does that fit? So, Hey, we've got this really great tool here, right? This person does a wigs bang job, you know, as a soft tissue person, but is that the right tool at the right time? Mm -hmm. Right. I was telling Steffi yesterday about a story of one of my NFL guys that called me up because they, he tore his Achilles tendon. And as I was going through like, okay, what are we doing? How do we get to this point? Turns out he started doing, um, you know, some deep tissue massage work right before every Sunday game. And it was like, okay, it, he was trying to attribute sleep. After. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was doing it because why, what, what is most people, unfortunately that people are like, Oh, you're a professional athlete. Well, no, you're a professional football player or your professional baseball player. It doesn't mean you're a professional athlete. A lot of these guys have so much God given potential that they don't, they still haven't tapped yet into their true athletic ability. They still have tremendous amount of imbalances and, and issues going on, but we, they get rewarded and they get paid to be able to do a skill. 
and therefore we call them professional. Um, and he never there, his biggest litmus test of was that good or bad was, well, it felt good. Right. Okay. So you felt good, but now let's talk about the actual science behind it. Well, when we are actually lengthening those muscle spindles and Golgi tendon organs, the actual signaling that returns, you know, back to your brain from having to take that step and absorb force. Now it's actually inhibited. It's slowed down. So when you actually have to make that cut, you can't call upon those muscles to fire in the correct sequence and boom, there goes an Achilles. So does that mean that massage is all of a sudden bad now? Well, no, you just use the wrong tool at the wrong time and people not understanding how to put the system together and then having that team together. So I talk with now that when I work with new NFL guys, you know, I sit down with them and I really talk about like the progression of, of the NFL athlete, right? Most of them, unfortunately get to the NFL, not because of what they did, but sometimes despite what they did, because they're just God given freaks of nature. So they get in the NFL and they realize, okay, I don't actually get paid by getting into the NFL. I get paid by staying in the NFL. Mm -hmm. So then they have to realize, okay, now everybody's good. And now they start to get pressed at that higher level. Now they're revving their engine high and they realize, well, gosh, I need a tune up. So then they start asking some of the veterans, well, how did you stay here? And they realize the teams actually don't care for me, right? It's just a money making organization. Mm -hmm. And they still, it's, it's right. sad at the, you know, at the highest levels, they're still doing their stem and ice, like the same kind of stuff. And so they realize, okay, if I'm going to stay here, I got to get my own team together. So they start asking the veterans, well, what do you do? And the guy goes, well, I've got this guy that does my strength work. This guy, mm -hmm. you know, does my massage. So they start to put their team together, but how do they evaluate that? Cause they didn't, again, they didn't have, not only do they not have a formal education, but they don't have the years of experience to test things out. So their litmus test is, well, what feels good? And it's usually what feels good. And it's usually, well, that goes aligned with how I normally have been training. So mm -hmm. like, if you're a receiver, they usually start off with their footwork guys and like, Cause that's what's, what's fun. So we're doing tons of speed and agility work, but again, they have, you know, no hamstrings, no strength foundation, no balance, no neurology, no, none of this. And you know, nutrition, I mean, even the, most guys, nutrition is horrible. I mean, it's just, it's really sad to think about because these guys are already so good. And the message has to be how much better could you get? Um, so then they start throwing these things on the wall just to basically see what sticks. Uh, and that's as far as a lot of them go. And if they're lucky, you know, they can start like, you know, um, when I was, uh, uh, frustrated when my career was coming to an end and, I, um, the one thing I attribute, um, that I learned when I was, uh, with my time with the Rockies organization. So I was fortunate because I was able to go, um, and work through a lot of the different minor league, uh, players. And then I was, um, uh, the strength coach that, uh, came along for the fall league, which is where they take kind of their prospect minor league guys who they think are going to go all the way. And they give them another, it's, a, it's like a spring training at the end of, of the season. And, um, you know, so I would throw batting practice and I would go out there and I'm like, Hey, I, it was fun for me. And I could still strike out like the single A guys and in some of the double A guys. And then there was a big delineation between like like double A and triple A. And so that was the point where I realized, man, even at my best, like that's as far as I would have gone and I'm kind of an all or nothing guy. So for me, I got to put to rest, um, kind of that, that haunting, what if question, man, if I never had that injury, if I could have trained differently, if I could have been coached better, how far could I have gone? And I, I really think for a lot of athletes, um, that's always the haunting question. And so when I started kind of in my, uh, when I opened up like my gym and everything else, I just really started it for high school kids so that they could get the same, um, quality care 
um, that I give to professional athletes, but so that they could just do everything right. And then win, lose, draw, they could at least be peaceful saying, all right, I had my best shot mm -hmm. and, and now that they can move on with their life. So, mm -hmm. um, I was able to put that, that question to rest and then move on. But a lot of people, unfortunately don't, don't get to answer that question. And, um, same thing, a lot of these, even professional athletes, you know, they get washed up, they get these injuries, they never quite, quite get there. And it's the same story, even at the highest level. So, you know, if we can start putting these things together for them and then, you know, the last kind of puzzle piece is getting them to finally realize that they need that CEO. If their body is their business, really, then just like any other business, right? Your CEO is the person that kind of knows all the parts of the business, but he's not, he doesn't have to do all the parts of the business, but he can coordinate all the different players within the business to put it together. And so you have to have someone in an understanding that says, oh, I know when to use that tool at the right time, how that integrates into this, how that goes in together. Now you actually have a system. And that's why today when people talk about their, you know, again, go back to the social media, like our training system or your, you know, six weeks to a better vertical jump. That's not a system. You know, that's just throwing a stimulus and then getting an adaptation for people that quite frankly are at a you know, you throw any kind of stimulus, you're going to get change, you know, especially these high school kids today. If you just get them off the couch and in front of the Xbox, then they're going to get a change. But, you know, are we really maximizing human potential? So in terms of your, in terms of your approach, so you mentioned that injury rate is still going up, even though there seems to be, you know, a lot of professionals and high, highly educated people on the field. What do you think like, uh, why do you think that's the case and how does your approach, I guess, differ from what's been generally done? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, it starts with a lot of the changes in our youth sports. Um, I call it the Tiger Woods syndrome. It's now everyone wants to be awesome. Everyone wants to be great. So we specialize way too early and it's, you know, here's a golf club. Let's throw it in your hands at you know, two. while you're two, two, three years old <laughs> yeah. and, you know, I was, you know, Tiger obviously had an affinity already, um, to, you know, his kinesthetic awareness, his ability to, you know, groove that swing, you know, was unparalleled. And so he got really good at a skill and, you know, again, I won't speak too much into it, but we have too many people that, um, again, they become good at golf but they weren't an athlete, you know, they get good sure. at shooting a, a basketball, but they weren't an athlete. And so, um, I tend to follow a lot more of a, like kind of the original Soviet approach where if I had my way, um, you know, every kid would start off in, in like gymnastics in track and field, um, and really learn how to use their body, uh, from a young age, increase that kinesthetic awareness. Um, I wish I could go back and do things like, you know, I was not really a basketball player. And so now when I mess around, you know, I'm decent on my dominant arm, but you know, dribbling to my offhand or saying, look, I'm going to spend more time kicking a soccer ball and doing these things, not because I want to get super awesome at the sport, but I want the dexterity in my athleticism first. Then when people say like, well, when can you start weight training? Well, it's like, kids jump out of trees. Well, we used to kids today. Don't that's the problem. We used to jump out of trees and we used to jump off fences and we used to do all these things. We wrestle around yeah, and we'd yeah. stay out until, you know, it was when, when did you come home? Well, when the lights went, went dark kind of thing, as opposed mm -hmm. to today. And some of it, yes, there's changes in society and stuff, and it's not as safe for our kids and all that, but you know, 
we had these opportunities to actually be kids first. Um, and then, so what I would want to do is, uh, you know, create, uh, programs that both work for particular athletic development and then also taking sport, but using sport as tool. And so you get everything from the competitive side and the coaching, but really to say that every, every skill, just like heck in the weight room too. I mean, people just think that, Oh, if I go to the weight room, is that now training? Well, not necessarily. If I spend all my time squatting, maybe I'll get better at squatting. Maybe not based on how you're doing it, but you know, that will create an imbalance if I only do that one thing. Um, in the same way, if I just swing a golf club, if I just shoot a basketball, you know, by the nature and definition of motor pattern in sport, it will always create imbalance. So the more we can get a foundation and build from that. Um, so the Soviets really didn't specialize. So they, they kind of went through all their, you know, GPP early on, they allowed kids to do things that were more kinesthetic awareness. Then they started working on, you know, it wasn't until like 13 or so it was like, Oh, you're going to be big and tall. Okay, let's now put you in basketball. I always say that, you know, we don't choose the sport. The sport kind of chooses up. Shaquille O'Neal is never going to be a horse jockey. Right. Um, and so then we can start to specialize in the sport once we have that foundation. And again, in the, you know, kind of the Eastern Bloc and in European uh, endeavors, it was more geared towards Olympics, where here in America, we definitely have our, you know, NFL, basketball, right. baseball. Um, so it's even getting harder because we have nowadays you know, again, most of us grew up playing multiple sports. Now it's one sport. And then now it's not just your season. It's now it's year round. It's club sports, this club sports, that, and then kids feel like they're falling behind if they don't get to have all those opportunities. So to me, I think it's, it's really that because it's really a numbers game, right? We just happen to have more numbers, you know, like if we, heck, if we just want to look at, you know, weightlifting, um, and you know, is it America? I mean, and America is coming along in actual, you know, Olympic weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's because most of our athletes are going to other sports that pay more money. Right. You know, if you, you know, grow up in Ukraine, you know, you've, you're more limited into what you're going to do. So they can say, well, we're going to pick our best people in that it's still going to be, you know, drawing from the pool of people, but America, we have a lot of talent. We have a lot of people so they can kind of do that. But we, we miss out then on, again, just being kids first and athletic and all this kind of stuff. So if we can, uh, really start from the foundation, that's really the start of the, the first part. Um, and then after that, um, you know, because we have such the specialties and then people tend to do what feels good, that's where they just, you know, kind of have that linear, um, mindset in, uh, in their training. And so we're just setting people up kind of for failure with that. But then you get into the training and, and we tend to have this, this is the way we've always done it this way. We're always going to do it. And so you look at new gyms that come up or, the, um, you know, the next college that's putting in millions of dollars into their weight room, but are they really putting in things that work or is it just this, you know, whole sea of power racks? Right. right. And so it's like, okay, great. You got this big shiny equipment, but it's still the same old, same old. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we have people that get super smart and, um, you know, and you look at some of the really top level or quote unquote top level places and they're like, well, we can do this test. We can do that test. And man, we can, you know, do, you know, data capturing on, on your, your biomechanics and we can do the, you know, all this stuff. And it's like, cool. I remember like the first time I took one of my UFC guys, um, to the UFC performance Institute 
And I was like, okay, we're going to get your VO2 and we're going to get you lactate threshold and a lot of exercise fizz stuff. And, in you know, we're going to use these force plates and, you know, it's all sounds cool. And then when I talk to the trainers, I'm like, okay, so now how are you going to change and change and implement, you know, their actual programming? And it's like, well, we're basically, they're still doing the same stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, so you got all this information, but you don't know how to assimilate the information in actual training. So we also have a big, big disconnect because it's more refreshing. That's why, you know, I was uh, drawn to, to Jordan, you know, when we first met, because I'm like, all right, here's a guy who's smart, but he's also out there, like, you know, breaking a sweat. He's not just over here, like, you know, a 95 pound weakling, just reading more textbooks. Mm -hmm. Uh And, and so it's like, okay, we need more people that are actually, you know, learning just as much, if not more so from how they fail in the weight room and on the playing field is just people reading more studies that are like, okay, so you can sound cool, but now can you really create change because at the end of the day it's um person starts in in right here we want to end up over here how are we going to progressively get to that thing Mm -hmm. and so you look at the actual practices of change that really hasn't changed too too much and the people that are doing it you know they they know how to put it together and they didn't have to read a whole bunch of science books to to get there but they're i mean trial and error is still (laughs) the number one teacher um so if we can get people you know, not so distracted by, you know, the studies and the science and the, you know, all right, let's put a whole bunch of green dots on you and, and see you move on this, you know, green screen kind of thing. It's like, okay, everything has its time and place, but then, you know, another thing that happens with a lot of the professional athletes because they have, you know, a little bit more resources, they're always, all right, well, what did you do? What did you do? And so and all of a sudden they're like, they're all in their gizmos and gadgets, right? Just yeah, throwing money at whatever they think and give them the, yeah, the competitive edge. Yeah. yeah, and it's more is better, right? And so <clears throat> they become easy victims that way sometimes, you know? Absolutely. And you look in their closet and what you find is, is there's 50 things that are collecting dust uh-huh. and it's still the three things that worked for them from the beginning. And they've, you know, they've kind of stuck with it. So, um, and that's even not to say we don't want to learn. We don't want to do all that, but we have to, we have to close the gap between kind of the, the science, and the experimentation with the, you know, trial by error practice that people are doing and then understanding more of that, that system. And really the number one thing I say, you know, when I try to hire people, um, I always ask, do you have people skills? Do you have common sense? Because, you know, common sense is not so common and we have all these things that just, you know, Man, you can give thousands of examples of people talking way up here, up in the clouds on the science side, but it's just like, well, did you, you know, it's like someone that wants to go run and they want to talk about their mechanics. And it's like, well, you haven't even tied your shoes yet. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I had that realization in, in grad school when I started learning all these, all these things about the human body and biomechanics and anatomy physiology, and then was trying to apply a lot of the, even neuro. Remember, like uh-huh. I sometimes came back home with like a neural lesson and I was like, oh yeah, this makes sense. This makes your type two muscle fibers way f- faster, whatever. So I would grab all these concepts and try to apply them in training and like it wouldn't be kind of what I was expecting. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be directly correlated or there wouldn't be a, a direct kind of effect from whatever it is that I was trying to apply from school. Okay. I want to take a second here just to give another shout out to 
our sponsor stay classy meats these guys we've been using them for quite some time now actually long before they were uh, a sponsor on the show and they make some of the best stuff that i have ever had and unlike a lot of meat companies that keep it pretty basic you can have freaking wagyu burgers tomahawk steaks you can think of it they have it and that can arrive straight to your door uh stay classy sources from ranchers who are for the animals which means they allow the animals to graze in a stress-free environment and if you know anything about hunting or uh eating meat in general that is super important to the quality and the taste of the meat stay classy is also committed to keeping their meat hormone and antibiotic free so when you get this meat you know you're just getting meat you know exactly what's in it they cater to athletes who require the best quality products to put in their body. Nutrition is the base of our existence. The better the quality of the inputs, the less stressed out our bodies will be, and the more efficient it will run. They are all about quality, convenience, and small batch. So definitely check these guys out. Like I said, they make the best stuff. Code HYBRID in all caps will get you guys 10% off. So try some bougie burgers, try some other awesome meat, and uh, enjoy. Enjoy a little discount on us. All right, now let's get back to the episode. Thank you guys for listening. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a lot. there's some things that obviously do work the way that they're supposed to, but there's a lot of things that maybe work for some people and not from for others. You know, maybe I wasn't, um, you know, I just wasn't, wouldn't have been part of the sample that that particular intervention would have worked, worked for, for or whatever. So, yeah, things don't work the same way on the field, in the gym, the way that they work. I also think there's Research. a big problem with a lot of the metrics they use to measure improvement. I just remember having the realization <clears throat> when I lived in Canada, I worked with hockey players and, you know, we'd have them come in at the beginning of the season, do a bunch of these tests. And then we do the same thing at the end of the season, same test to see the improvement. And it just became so clear to me how trainers can get it so wrong because you get to a point where you're no longer actually worried about overall athletic development and just like how can we make them improve in these specific tests mm -hmm. so that we can go back to their team or their their parents or whatever and say oh look see he did he got a nine in the beginning and or now he's got a 10 like he made all this improvement but it's just like what exactly are you testing for it was your experience the same working with football guys yeah um so i once i got done with you know college and then the Rockies, I really didn't want to be a part of any like organization again. Um, Why not? Well, the number one thing was just because they care more about the business than they do about, I mean, I could go into, you know, one day I'll, I'll write the book of mm -hmm. all the behind the scenes stuff and just, you know, seeing the overreaching, you know, I saw tons of athletic trainers, you know, giving out toward all and prescription stuff. Like it was candy. And again, uh -oh. they're athletic trainers. They're not even doing that. Um, unfortunately most athletic and I'm not ripping on athletic trainers as a profession. I'm just saying the type of people that get drawn tend to be the ones that are the yes men that work for the GMs who, if they like, I I've seen NFL guys, um, where athletic trainers have intentionally kept them from what they need so that they could stay hurt. So they could get a, give a more viable reason to let them go because it was a business choice. Wow, um, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, um, I I've seen some, you know, athletic trainers completely, uh, fabricate, um, you know, injuries talking to the coaches of why someone shouldn't be playing just so that 
oh, well, he's not ready for the game. So we're going to, I mean, one of the worst, I had one of my guys, um, uh, who was, uh, he was one of those guys that was trying to fight just to make the 53 man roster. And this is during the like, uh, preseason. I won't name the organization he was with at the time. Um, but he had a, uh, he called it cause he was dealing with a hamstring issue and, uh, there were two other of the main starters, uh, in the same position also dealing with hamstring issue. And so, um, you know, we're like, Hey, we're going to come back. We're going to fight and we're going to show this coach, this one particular coach was, you know, really valued like hard work and the work ethic and stuff. So labs like, Hey, let's just, let's, let's make it so that you just look like this beast. So we're working, you know, all throughout, you know, day, night, everything, just, you know, killing it and all this. And, uh, and then, you know, my guy, his hamstring is like better after a week, the other guy. And so the coach is like, well, how come so-and-so they've been dealing with the same issue. There was actually was even worse or not as bad. And, you know, they're now a month into, you know, preseason still dealing with the same issue. Well, the athletic trainer goes, well, he's just, that's just, you know, he's just not ready. He's, he's, it was like, he was literally like accusing him of pretending like, like, well, how can you do that when you're running? So bottom line is, is when you're a veteran, um, and if, if you start, um, the, you know, like the first game, your contract is as secure for the whole season. But if they cut him, then, which is what they did because the coach was like, well, we don't know if he's okay. Cause my athletic trainer is telling me that he's not actually okay. So they literally cut him on the Saturday night before the Sunday's game, Sunday's game rolls around. Um, his agent calls up the coach. What the heck's going on? You know, I thought you, yeah, we love this guy, but we just don't know if he's going to be healthy. And he's like, he's perfectly healthy. Like he's been running like the, the proofs in the pudding, like go actually uh -huh. have him run. And so they, they re-signed him that next Monday, but then when they re-signed him, now he's week to week, which means they can kind of at any point in time. So it was again, and then I've never had an athlete trainer except for this one actually come back and say, yeah, I, he admitted to the player that he completely like lied to the coach. And I was like, you know, from that point or forward, <laughs> I'm like, that's why I really don't post, I don't post my workouts you know, with my athletes, I don't do any of that because, you know, they just use it for ammunition. I remember when I first started, like I was really naive, um, working with, uh, some of my guys with the Broncos early on. And, uh, one of them in particular is like, you know, you gotta be careful because, you know, if you do something really good, you know, they're going to take credit for it. And if you, if something happens to a player, they're just going to blame you if they know you're working with them. You know, right. and it's just that kind of organ. I mean, you kind of be the fall man. Yeah. Or you get, they take credit when you do something good and, but you still get all the negative side. Yeah. Of it. yeah. So I just was like, you know, and that's the difference. I want my players to know that I'm, I'm here for them. Um, it's mm -hmm. not about a name and that's, what's frustrating. I mean, these people, the, again, the Instagram gurus that, you know, can get these followings and look cool. And it's like, you have no clue what's going on. Um, and there, I, there's nothing more annoying than seeing someone like, he's a quote unquote trainer and he's training somebody in the gym and the whole time he's, you know, doing the selfie pictures and all that kind of, yes. it's, uh, it's so obnoxious. Yeah. So unprofessional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So and you see that at the high level, like you'll see a, like a, a, an A-list NFL guy in there with like his trainer who's you know, goofing around doing the Instagram live or something with them. And well, you see it more, um, the difference on the high level is, is they, um, those guys won't work with so much like the, the, 
the guys that are more like the, you know, like the booty builder guys or, you know, those, sure. those types of trainers. Um, you know, if people are, are focused more on just aesthetics, you know, Oh, if this guy's jacked, he probably knows what he's talking about. Right. And so it's more about, you know, a looks contest and people can get following that way in the, in the sports world. It's less that, but it's more uh, like we were saying earlier, guys that get persuaded by the, the latest and greatest, right. The, the gizmos, the gadgets, the people that can talk the big game, but then it's like, they really can't like, they don't have a good understanding of how to really assimilate the information to say, is that crap or is that not? Mm -hmm. So you see a lot more of that kind of stuff, um, at the higher end levels, where, you know, and then I was disappointed because there's, well, there's this one trainer who's actually, um, I think down here in the, in the Miami area. And he works with a few guys, um, that are high level and he was getting some flack for some of his training methods that he posts out there. And so, but his defense of it was, we'll look at this guy on the field. Well, I was like, he could be on the field regardless of what you're doing. Right. And it was like, and this is another thing I, I can't stand about the trainers. It'd be like, you know, just because, you know, I got Von Miller ready for Super Bowl 50 and he was Super Bowl MVP. Did that mean that he was Super Bowl MVP because of me? Well, heck no, he's Von Miller. Like he was, yeah. he was Von Miller before he ever met me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I can't stand when trainers try to take credit for like, I made this guy. It's like, no, you didn't make this guy. You're fortunate to be a part of his process and hopefully didn't do anything to be detrimental to him. <laughs> but I'm like, if you're going to take credit for him, this same, uh, trainer and he's a, he's a PT and a trainer. Um, I'm like, then does that mean you're going to also take credit for the fact of this guy has been working with you and he's also had a number of injuries too. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, because it, it, it's both ways. It's both it ways. Both yeah. Ways. Yeah. So again, it's, just people kind of touting themselves more so than it's like, you know what, I'm fortunate here. And like, I, I tell my guys, I mean, um, I would much, what's more meaningful to me is yes, I want to see you successful on your field. I want you to get paid. I want you to get that kind of stuff. But when I've made enough impact where it's like that day that you get married and you call me and I'm get to be invited to your wedding, or you just had a kid and you're so excited or you're like, man, you know, my kid's two years old now and I don't know how to, stop them from crying. And I get a call. Like to me, the relational side of things would be is way more impactful than even just like, all right, I fixed your knee. Great. Mm. Um, so, and that's the same reason why I like working with high school kids is, you know, if I can give them qualities that they can take for the rest of their life. And most of us that really love sport, we don't love a sport. We love capital S sport because the qualities that we learn from the hard work, the dedication, the perseverance, the, the ups and downs, all that kind of stuff. That's the same kind of stuff that you guys are putting into your business. The same kind of stuff you're putting in your relationship is, you know, so it's really more about life than it is about, you know, a metric and kind of coming back to that question. So yeah, the, what really, opened my eyes to that was, um, you know, working at the D one level, we've created a system where no one really has to take responsibility, um, right. because it's, you know, kid comes into college, you know, bigger, faster, stronger. So strength coach goes, well, you know, you squatted 300 and now you're squatting 450. I did my job, you know, and that's the metric. Uh -huh. And then, you know, not with any kind of consideration that, you know, he's actually not faster. His movement quality is not great. You know, he goes on the field, he gets injured and now it's, Oh, that was bad luck. Oh, it was because of the turf now, you know, or right. all these other, you know, stupid things. And then it's like, okay, well, the surgeon comes in and says, well, I did a really good job on 
repairing your ACL. But then if he has issues after that, it's, well, that must've been the physical therapist. No, actually the physical therapist goes, well, I got your range of motion back uh -huh. and your left quad looks like your right quad. So I did my job. Okay. Well then it's like, okay, you feel good. You're out of pain. You have your range of motion and your quad girth size is the same. So now we send you back to you know, the trainers who just tape you up. And then we go to the strength and conditioning guys who starts the process all over again. So it's almost this level of deniability. And right. therefore, because it's not a comprehensive thing, no one has to truly take responsibility. And then it's like, well, you, it's bad luck. You're right. And it's like, no, that there's more to it than that. And that was my biggest frustration. And that's why I actually do appreciate the strength coaches who realize that, um, Injury prevention does begin with them. And if they saw the more comprehensive approach, it's not just about how much can you bench squat, deadlift, you know, power clean, whatever. Um, how do you, how do you prevent injuries? How do you prevent injuries? Uh, again, the, I would say, um, we always start looking at the human first. So I don't, everyone says like one of my pet peeves is when people use like Oh, this is a sport specific move. No, the only movement that's specific to the sport is the sport itself. Mm -hmm. Realizing that everything in training in and of itself, if you isolate one moment of time, it's just, that is just a motor pattern. You know, a squat is a motor pattern. A jump is a motor pattern when you're running. So, you know, now we've have, you know, you're running specialist. You've got your Olympic weightlifting coach. You've got your whatever, like, you know, let's say if you want to be the best CrossFit person, right. We know that the best CrossFit people don't don't do CrossFit. Right. You know, they have the time where it's like, oh, they have their gymnastics coach. They have their Olympic weightlifting coach. They have their rehab people. They have. Right. So they're doing they're They are training more athletically, you know, comprehensively than just, hey, I'm going to go do my 50 minute wad and that's it kind of thing. Right. Um, so anyways, what I do is is um, just go back. How, how does the human work? So my foundation, I always look through the lens of neurology now because I'm like. If, if you're alive and breathing, it's neurology. And that's the other problem is, is all these buzzwords. What you've seen in the last five years is the marketing movement towards, well, everything I do now is neurological and it's well, okay. Just because you're, you know, swinging a kettlebell, that doesn't make it neurological, you know, just because, oh, we're doing a, you know, if I do neuromuscular therapy, a massage. Well, what does that really mean? Or you just pushing on a trigger point, right? Like, do you really have an understanding of, of how that's communicating with the brain? So most people, if you ask them when they say their neurological buzzword, what does that really mean? They don't really have an answer for you. They're still just doing the same thing. They're just calling a different name. Mm -hmm. Just like, you know, back when everything was, oh, we're going to, this is functional training. <laughs> where was, where did that word come from? Or, you know, right. this is for the core. Well, do you even know what that is? Like, you know, so getting rid of some of the marketing buzzwords. Um, however, if you're alive and breathing, then yes, your nervous system is working. And one of my litmus tests, when someone says, Oh, it's neurology. If they say it's all about the brain, you realize they don't know anything about neurology, right? Because the brain is secondary, right? You have five senses, you have twice as many nerve fibers going up to the brain, brain sending information from the outside world. So therefore, again, stimulus becomes the number one factor. So we look at how, what is, what stimulus is being produced? How is the body interpreting the stimulus? And the stimulus actually gets the brain. Like, you know, if I put a rock in your shoe, that's a stimulus, right? If, if you have all the strength in the world and you're getting ready, seven hour time with this, if you get ready to go and do a, a max effort squat and you're stepping on a sharp rock, you're not going to be able to squat that way. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how strong you are. So the stimulus becomes number one. But number two is if I, if I, if I were to give you a nerve block, 
right? Or if I chop off your leg, guess what? That stimulus no longer gets to your brain. So it no longer matters. So now we have to look at how does the stimulus get to the brain? Does the brain interpret the stimulus correctly? How does it interpret it? And therefore, what kind of adaptation? Because if the brain interprets that rock as, oh, I kind of like this, it's going to now move in a favorable direction. If it says, no, this is painful. Now it's going to create a compensation because you're still saying, hey, I still have to squat this weight. So now you're going to shift your hips. You're going to do these other things to get out of pain. Mm -hmm. And then if I do that over and over, guess what? Now I have adaptation. And most of us, that's honestly the biggest difference between a professional quote unquote athlete and, or I was again, go back to my definition a professional sports person versus someone who didn't get there. It's really from when you started to do those motor skills, were you doing them in a favorable way? And therefore do most people spend more time building upon their good motor patterns or do they spend more time trying to fix their bad ones? You know, right. a tiger wood woods was so good at a young age. He, you know, you look at him as a little kid, he already had a natural, beautiful golf swing. He can just do it. So he got to build upon his good skills. Right. Whereas someone else was like, man, like, oh my gosh, that was wholly wrong. And so now it's like, we got to change your grip. We got to change your stance. You know, so they're now undoing because we never actually forget a motor pattern. I always use the analogy. I'm like, like from Colorado Springs to Denver, there's one major highway. <laughs> and so that's the most efficient way to get from Colorado Springs to Denver. If there's a big accident, which happens a lot on that now, so you got to take these back roads and everything, and it's not as efficient. Now, if no one ever cleaned up the accident, we would start to use these back roads more and more. And then maybe the, because this is how the government works, right? They would say, well, we got to throw more money at these back roads. So all of a sudden now you got these super highways on these back roads, but it's still never as efficient as cleaning up the straight direct path. Mm -hmm. So most of us, that's what we're doing in our human movement is we get really good at compensating. And so that's why we lack efficiency and that's, what's going to lead to injuries and all that kind of stuff. So now I'm trying to come back to answer the question is. Wouldn't some of these compensations make you actually more efficient? So when I'm working with someone, like if I, if I'm in a rehab mindset, which again, for me, I don't really differentiate between therapy and training. It's all the same, right? Mm -hmm. If you are in training, you're always working on your weakness, right? Um, and trying to fill in the gaps. And now honestly, that's, this is where common sense comes in. So the best training program is someone that can look at a more comprehensive picture of the human body and say, where are you most weak? Some people, maybe it's just a mental thing, right? So we need to get into sports psychology. We need to get some other things. Um, but if, uh, if I am in a process, I'm always looking at, am I helping someone restore their health or am I helping them to deal with the negative ramifications of compensation? If you, it's easy if you take things to extremes and you can think about it. So if I have a soldier coming back from Afghanistan with his leg blown off and he's now wearing a prosthetic and he says, Chris, I want to compete in the Paralympics. Okay. I'm not going to regrow his leg. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm pretty good, but I'm not that good. So I'm going to teach him how to deal with the negative ramifications of a prosthetic. Okay. So therefore in that context, I'm going to make him better dealing with compensation. However, if I have someone else, that's just like, you know, he's got the health components there. It's not like, Oh, you, you know, you don't have no ankle mobility because you know, your ankle is fused. Right. And now we have to deal. If you want to be able to do that, Olympic lift, you're not going to be able to keep an upright torso because that ankle just won't allow you to get there. Right. So if they are bound and determined to do that lift, I'm gonna have to teach them how to compensate. Um, but then knowing that, okay, your body is going to have to ship. Like if you just to use that example, if your right ankle was fused and you could not drive your knee forward, okay, you're not going to, and, and if you also have to keep an upright torso, the only way to do that now is to completely shift your hips 
laterally to the leg that's, and you're going to have an overcompensation there and you're going to be able to stay now upright, but that's going to deal. And that's going to create a lot of pain and imbalance if you don't now take care of that. So if, if that was my task, right. Okay. We can still compete at a high level with that compensation, but the question is, is how long, if you're going to let them just to break down, now they're going to be start. My hip hurts, my back hurts. Now my opposite knee hurts my, you know, and then their, their career is going to come over. But if you realize, okay, this is going to happen. Therefore, now we're going to take care of those negative ramifications. You're going to be able to extend the life of them being able to do that one thing. So long answer to say, I'm going to always look and restore health when I can. And when I can't restore health, now we have to look at what are the ramifications of the compensation and how can we mitigate those like a hockey you were hockey i mean guy mm-hmm. a hockey goalie and how they contort their hips is yeah. not natural to the human body so i'm not going to tell him well you're never going to do that you know you should give up you know the millions of dollars that you're going to make as a professional hockey goalie no i'm going to say okay that's going to create negative ramifications so my job now is to curb those ramifications so they don't become unmanageable so that we can extend the life of your hockey career that would probably be a better example. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, and athletes are compensation monsters, especially in sports. That, that's Jordan, one of Jordan Shell's favorite lines. But uh, especially in, in sports that require to, you to do something that isn't natural, like pitching, you know, or, or the hockey goalie, uh, the hips are a great example too. Um, I want to switch gears slightly though because I'm really interested in, in the career path and how you one got to where you were with uh, sports teams, um, which I think for most people, they think it's uh, like, that's the, the, the best place you can end up as a, as a strength coach, mm. you know, is working for one of these big organizations or at a D one school or something like that. So I think it's actually really an interesting perspective that just kind of see behind the scenes a little bit with what you did there. Yeah. But then um, making that transition into, sort of stepping away from the teams and just working with guys individually is also really interesting. So if you had to map out the sort of career path in an efficient way, I always like to, to use the uh, metaphor of, you know, once you've, when you climb a mountain for the first time, you figure out a route, you know, but you don't know necessarily until you get to the top of that mountain, if that was the most direct or the quickest or the most efficient way to get there. Mm -hmm. So now having done that and standing on the top of the mountain, if there's someone listening who wanted to kind of get to where you're at, how do you do that in this day and age, in this climate of, you know, social media buzzwords and all, all the stuff that this industry sort of turned into? Absolutely. Um, so, um, when I first opened up my gym and I was hiring people, you know, I was like, I was pretty frustrated with like traditional school and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so I was like, ah, they don't need school. You know, I can, I'll, I'll teach them my stuff and that'll be good. Well, no, you still have to have a foundation. I had one person that came to me as an intern, um, cause they wanted to go into physical therapy. So I was like, sure. Right. And then they had had already a four year degree and they still didn't know the difference between a tendon and a ligament. And I'm like, how did you even graduate? Like not even knowing a basic. Uh-huh. So the short answer is, is you do need to get the basics. Um, and, uh, you know, there are certain things that aren't going to change. Like 
a bone is a bone, a muscle is a muscle, like get, get, get some foundations. Um, also show me that you can complete a task. Like I think a lot of the formal education is really about, can you, do you learn how to schedule your time? Do you learn how to, I, I think actually, didn't you just do like a, a question answer or something in, in like the college thing. And you yeah, know, so you, you learn some of those disciplines. And, and, um, the one thing I think that because a lot of these kids coming up, they have to fight the instant gratification. And so, um, I just saw this one person, um, that was like, okay, they have their dream, right? So they quit their day job to go pursue their dream. Now they're like, I have no money. Well, yeah. Realize that most people that got there, they didn't work your typical eight to five. Uh-huh. And so, you know, do your J job, do your schooling, do that, and then start to work on your passion on the side mm-hmm. until you can get so <laughs> to a place where now that can become your full-time job. Um, we have, I would say nothing still, you know, it's, it's like the best program in the planet, whether you're talking training or whatever, I can give you the best program in the world, but if you don't follow, it's not going to help you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a intermediate program done thoroughly is going to always beat the best program not done at all. Mm -hmm. So uh, still uh, most of these, most of these kids that are, if they're listening or in school or whatever, it's like hard work, discipline, work ethic will still take you further, especially in today's day of age than anything else. So it's work. Yeah. That's number one. But number two, really start to look at the common sense picture. Like, can you evaluate something just with common sense and not just, you know, take everything for face value. Um, so after that, um, networking is huge. Um, I would say that, you know, there, there, I'm sure plenty of great trainers on the planet and we'll never know their name because they just never got put in the position, um, uh, to get the opportunity. Now there's people that have the network. So, you know, this is something I've, a couple of NFL guys is a good example. Like they started off with their buddy in college who ended up becoming their so-called trainer. Right. And then all of a sudden that trainer became famous because they just so happened to be buddies with Joe Blow. Right. And, but they really weren't that great. And the question really becomes is, is once you get your shot, can you, can you keep it from there? So, um, you know, I was fortunate that I was friends with, um, a NFL sports agent because I was taking care of his at the time they were in high school. Now they're, um, they're, uh, I've got one that's a senior at, at Nebraska and, uh, doing well. Um, but anyways, when one of his agent or I'm sorry, when one of his NFL guys was really struggling because he knew about me, that's when he brought his, his NFL player to me saying, Hey, this guy will take care of you. I took, and then I had, that was my shot. I had to do a good job. And then he was like, yeah, this was good. Then he told the next guy, I told the next guy, I told the next guy. So you've got to build that way. Um, and you know, like Hamilton says, you know, I'm not going to, not going to miss my shot. Um, so, but you can open up more doors with networking. And I would say a lot of these, uh, a lot of these kids come out of college and they're like, Hey, I got my degree. So where's my, you know, $80,000 a year paycheck. Right. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, I would say again, get, as you're getting your formal schooling, you got to put yourself out there. It's not hard, especially now because of internet and social media to find out where some of the, the top places are going. But even when I say that it's a little tug in cheek, right? Some of these top places really aren't the top. They just happen to be where professional athletes might conglomerate. Right. Um, however, still go to those places. Why? Because one, you, you can show people, you can get in front of people to again, take your shot, but 
go in there with that critical eye of saying, what are they doing well? Because if they weren't doing anything well, then guys wouldn't be there eventually. So they must be doing something well, but also look at what do they not do? See, how can you take yourself and fill a need and then create a solution for that need? I think that's what makes more people marketable. Again, I'm, I might, I mean, I may have been good at, let's say, strength and conditioning when I met my NFL guys, but they already had strength and conditioning. And again, um, I always say nothing happens without a sense of urgency and professional athletes will continue to do what they're doing if they don't have any outside reason to change that. So whether it's good or bad, if they've been doing X strength program, they're going to continue doing its X strength program as long as they're not injured and feeling okay. Even if they could be doing something better, they're not, most of them, unfortunately, don't think, what else could I be doing? They just think sure. it's working for me. So here's the thing. If you want to get into a door, you have to show a need and then you have to have a solution for that need. So I would tell people like one of your best tools is internships, get into a place, learn, but then also find out what are they not doing? What are guys still need, even at that so-called great place mm-hmm. and use your critical thinking skills to be able to present a, you know, a need and then show how you're going to meet that. And that's how, you know, the neurology piece for me was because I had to fix myself. I mean, when I was younger, I didn't, I mean, yes, I wanted to work with professional athletes, but I wanted to not feel like I was 80 years old and I still wanted to compete at, you know, I'm a lifetime competitor, whether I'm actually in a sport or not. Mm -hmm. So that was to me, like I had to fix myself, but because I had the hands-on experience, that is always the best teacher anyways. And then I was able to speak into something that I was like, guys, this is where you're faltering. So, I mean, I was just, I, I always wanted to do performance, but when my, all these guys were injured all the time, I was just happy to take someone with like a high ankle sprain that was normally six to eight weeks coming back to you and say, I can get you back in 10 days. So to me, that was in, I never thought I'd be working with like paralyzed people and some other, like, actually, if you want to talk about what's most rewarding, you know, I've, heck, I've got uh, a stroke patient right now who sent me a picture of him skiing at Vail. And, you know, when he first met me, he had no use of his right side of his body. And so those are really the cool stories. Um, And so, uh, you know, the professional, that's really the glitz and glamour and really, you know, I always say it doesn't matter if you are in the NFL or whatnot, but if it's working for them, it's probably going to work for my high school kids. It's probably going to work for everybody else too, because we're all human first. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I would say they have to do that. And the difference between saying, should I go in, you know, open up the door at the, we'll say like the formal places, like a a D one college, a professional team, whatever. Again, it's just knowing that, you know, if you, uh, if you work for an organization, you're going to deal with politics and that's not, always a bad thing, especially if you're idealistic and you say, I want to actually change, you know, but just know that's very difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I was very idealistic and, and after Super Bowl, I remember sitting down with, you know, John Elway in San Francisco during Super and thinking like, okay, now they've seen what I've done and now this is going to be great. And they're going to no. <laughs> if any, I was, I was a more of a threat at that point. Um, because it just reveals that they could be doing something else and they don't want to do that. And, it was really disheartening. And then seeing some of this behind the scenes, however, that doesn't mean don't go there. It just means know what you're up against and you're going to have to be know when to stick your head down and be a yes man versus other man. 
I mean, I could tell more and more stories, even when I was at the Rockies, um, you know, when some of the players and one of the coaches in particular started seeing what I could do, I actually got pitted. They basically, uh, during fall league, they, um, well, I'll just tell the story. So, uh, Mike Gallego was the infielder coach for fall league, um, at the time in, in, at that time period, he was the most decorated coach in terms of, you know, he was with the Oakland A's with Conseco and in McGuire when they had all their world series rings and stuff. And so he had a lot of pull and he, um, his place was close to, um, my stepdad's place where I grew up in Arizona. And so when we would travel from Tucson to Phoenix, we started riding together. And so we had, you know, this hour and a half, two hour long drive where we got to know each other. And he started asking me questions one day. Hey, what do you think about this? What would you do here? And I was just answering how I normally would. And he was like, you know, you're the first, you know, strength coach that doesn't sound like a meathead, right? You actually sound like a baseball player. And so uh, he called me into the office. Um, we got back from this trip. He called me in the office this other day and coach there. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he just announces to the coaches, hey, we're going to take the team and we're going to split them in half. And, you know, the other strength coach is going to get half and then Chris is going to get half the team. And I just want to see what he can do. And this was a time where I was just like going to put my head down and not, you know, create waves. And so, uh, it was, um, <laughs> sorry, no, the battery's low. No, it was, um, in me, like kind of pitted my thing and I had a choice. I was like, well, either I'm going to put my head down and do what we're doing and not create waves, or I'm going to uh-huh. do what I think is right. And, you know, my guys were feeling great and they were having fun. The other players were like, well, we're going to start doing. And then, you know, ended up having this big scuffle with the strength coach behind closed doors where he was just like, you know, you need to get in line and making this look bad. And I was just like, well, let's either grow or change. And that's honestly, that was the reason why I left the Rockies was because I was, I didn't want to deal with the politics anymore. So you have to know that if you're going to go those routes, you either do that. And some people are perfectly fine with that. I'm I'm, I'm always kind of the bull in the China closet. And so that just wasn't going to work for me. And so what's the next thing, you know, you can go work for yourself. And then, you know, entrepreneurs were the ones that say, you know, we'll work 80 hours a week just so that we don't have to work 40 hours a week. Um, and so people need to understand if you're going to do it the way I did it, um, it's harder in terms of you've got, you're, you've taken care of everything else. You think that you're your own boss. No, you're not because now you've got a thousand, however many members you have, or however many clients you have, those are all your bosses now. Um, oh God, that's such a stressful way to think about it. <laughs> I just thought about all of our members. I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Unless you can find, that's where I was like, that's why I lean into you guys a little bit because you, uh, find a way of, of having kind of residual income and other ways where you can have a little more freedom. Um, honestly, one of the best things that happened to me was when I got to the point where I'm, cause after Super Bowl 15, and now I had a lot of guys throughout the league and I was literally, I was going from New York to Miami to LA literally all in the same week. And it was just killing me. I was never seeing my family. I was just exhausted. I didn't know what time zone I was in. And I was kind of like, I don't know where this ride's going to go, but then, uh, so I was trying to maximize it, but then I just got it's completely just like, I can't do this. So I got to the point where I, I, I didn't want to just work with anybody and I made it a choice to say, all right, I'm going to tell guys like, unless you really care about being the best, I really don't want to work with you. And that's badass. I had to tell myself though. I was like, there's a chance I'm going to piss off all my guys. And because I'm no longer going to be at their beck and call, um, I might lose them all. And I might never train another NFL guy again. And I had to be okay with that. And I was like, you know what? I had a good run. You know, if, if I never train up another professional athlete, 
I'll do my gym work with high school. I mean, I was, once I made peace with that, Uh um, and I told guys, I was like, I literally looked at certain, some NFL guys. I was just like, you're not serious about your health. You're not serious about being a true professional. I don't want to work with you anymore. It actually made me more marketable to the guys that did want to work. Um, so, but that was, that was scary, especially if your dream is to work with uh-huh. professional athletes, you have to know who you are and what you're about and, um, and, and be willing to stick to your guns that way. Um, and you never know because it's professional sports is a fickle world. Um, you know, you might, there's some guys where I was like, you know, they wouldn't have even made a team if, you know, they were dealing with some injury or whatever. And if they didn't get back in a certain time frame, they'd have been cut. And you would think that guys would be and you know, there are certain guys that are extremely grateful and, you know, love the fact that you're walking with them. And there's some guys that's like, you know, you might be Jesus walking on water one minute and the next thing you know, you're like dead to them. And it, again, at the end of the day, it's not about sports because people are people sure. <laughs> and it doesn't matter if you're in professional sports or out in corporate world or whatever, but some people are just, they, they know where they came from. They remember the help that you gave them. Some people, they'll just use you and walk all over you. And that's, that's life. That's the world. So sure. that's why I would say the number one thing coming back to all that is you have to know your why you have to know your purpose. And again, if I'm walking with someone, it's because I've chosen to do that. And it's more of a representation of who I am giving to them. It's not about what I can get back from them, which is another reason why, again, I don't really post a lot on social media and that kind of stuff, just because, you know, what I do is what I do regardless of who's seeing it. And, um, you know, if it helps people great and if not, you know, life goes on. Um, so get your formal education, you know, be smart, show people you can work hard, you know, work your hustle on the side, intern market, put yourself in position, think critically, um, look to see what people are not doing, see the need, present the need, find a solution for the need. And then you'll open up more opportunities and doors. And then after that, you gotta, you gotta actually show the people you can do a good job. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think that's a really well laid out, uh, summary. Yeah. The recommendation. I, I love it. I think it's a great place to leave it too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Chris, thank you so much for being on. I think, uh, I hope there's some perspective, uh, trainers listening that get, get a lot out of that. I'm, I'm sure there is. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank Absolutely. you for your time. Yeah. Appreciate it. Where can people find you if they want to work with you or whatever? Yeah. So our brick and mortars in, in uh, North side of Colorado Springs in Colorado, Dynamis Health and Performance. Um, again, I don't post a two ton stuff, but again, people can DM me Dynamis, uh, Dynamis Health and Performance and uh, websites the same, Dynamis Health and Performance. Awesome. We'll link it at the bottom in the notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Cool.